It's hard for me to believe that this is the first Sunday of Lent already. I know that we just passed uh, Ash Wednesday, and many of you were here and were able to uh, bring in prayers to be sealed under the altar till Pentecost. If you haven't had the opportunity to do that yet, I still have that envelope locked in a file cabinet in my office, sealed there. And after the service, if you have brought prayers that you want to put in there to be sealed under the altar, just flag me down and we'll get them in the envelope and I'll get all those things established this morning. Uh, also in the lobby today, in addition to the flyer that talks about the service of lament, is a handout that goes along with this particular sermon. All the previous uh, handouts that went with the weeks of the school of prayer are on the mission table in the lobby. But this one, this particular week, is labeled situational prayers. And if you're interested in that, you're welcome to take one of those with you uh, after the service. It, oh, well, here's a copy. It looks just sort of like this. And um, talks about praying in different situations. In the ending portion of the Gospel of John in the 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th chapter, we have this, this record of the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And in this particular prayer, uh, the disciples are told, as they listen to this prayer, that they will witness to the life of Jesus, his death and resurrection, and that witness will be their primary work. This is the proclamation of the kingdom, witnessing to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Matthew, we're told that Jesus commissions his disciples to go into the whole world, tells them in which order to do it, to make disciples, teaching them, baptizing them. And we get this confirmation through the eyes of Matthew that this is true. This is the work of his disciples, of his kingdom people, to be witnesses to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you continue to read past the gospels and you get to the book of Acts, the book of Acts is the record of how those disciples went about proclaiming the message of the kingdom of God, how they witnessed to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the power that came from the Holy Spirit to enable them to do that. But the question I would pose to you this morning is, what did Jesus do to enable them for their task? What did he give them? I mean, we hired, we hired a new maintenance worker this week who's going to start on Monday. And I didn't just say to the guy, hey, we'd like you to be our maintenance worker. Show up and maintain this place. He got more than that, right? He got a, a, a very articulate job description. These are the responsibilities. Before he ever took on the job, right? He knew exactly what he, he knew what he was going to get paid. He knew what his hours would be. He knew what the expectation was. We showed him the janitor's rooms and all the tools that we had to enable him to do the job. Everything was right out there in the open. He was, he was not walking in anything blindly. He was prepared and will continue to be prepared in the weeks ahead to do the job we're inviting him to do. And I'm wondering, what tools did Jesus give his disciples to do the job that he and we have been entrusted to do? Um, I'm reading an older book on prayer right now by a Dr. Halsby, and he remarks this way. 
Jesus only gave his disciples two tools. Only two things. He only gave him two things. The first was the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's hard to say only two tools and the Holy Spirit in the same breath, right? Because the Holy Spirit is way more than a tool, right? If, if we think about the Holy Spirit correctly, we are tools of the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, we're doing, he's doing his work through us. And yet he did, Jesus, did give us a task to do. And his gift to us was the Holy Spirit to enable us to do the, the task that he was given. I mean, we can't do anything on our own. It's the Holy Spirit that, that provides direction and inspiration and insight. Uh, the enablement for the task all comes from the Holy Spirit. But there was a second tool that Jesus gave his disciples, and that is prayer. That's what they got. They got the Holy Spirit, who is going to continue to guide them, and they got prayer, which is that vital link to the power of the Spirit. It's through prayer that we encounter the Holy Spirit. It's through prayer that the power of the Spirit is unleashed in our lives. It's through prayer that we receive the direction the Holy Spirit gives us that enables us for the task we've been given. It's through prayer that we receive course correction so that our lives are consistent with our message. Prayer is the major work of all Christians then, for it touches on mission, direction, correction, transformation, intercession, and intervention. All of those things are bound up in prayer and in our vital link with the Holy Spirit who wants to work through us. You know, when Paul is talking to the Corinthian church uh, in 1 Corinthians 4.20, he reminds them, because you know they're caught up in this idea that if the arguments don't sound eloquent, they must not be true. They're, they're, they're caught up, the Corinthian church, in, in philosophies that have the sound of wisdom to them. And Paul reminds them very specifically, the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of words. It's not what we say or talk about, but of power. It's, it's the actual living out by the power of the Spirit, the powerful gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's not what we say that's important. It's what gets enfleshed in our lives, the way we carry out this mission. And the Holy Spirit, linked to us through prayer, is the expression of the power of God for us. I think we can learn a great deal about praying, not only from the, the words that Jesus said to us in Scripture, but also from the example he set for us in praying. And this morning, I'd like to spend a little bit of time looking through the scriptures to see what Jesus was doing when he was praying. What were the circumstances in which he prayed? What, what types of things were happening in his life? And I think we can learn about times we should be moving towards prayer uh, when we experience similar types of things. So let's sort of waltz our way through the Gospels this morning and just make some observations about that. In Luke 3, 21 and 22, uh, this is what you read. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the, holy, the heavens was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, beloved. With you, I am well pleased. So before 
starting his public mission, at the, at the initial point of beginning his work, Jesus is praying. Prayer matters to Jesus during this time. I think it makes sense for us before we embark on work, before we start to do anything for the kingdom, we recognize we begin with praying. It starts with a vital connection to God before we do one thing for him. And if we begin our work day with prayer, Jesus' example at the end of the work day is equally important to us. In Mark 1.35, it says, In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. If you remember the setting of that particular passage, Jesus has just spoken to the temple. His words have caused a little bit of a stir because he proclaims the truth of a passage from Isaiah to the people, and they say, look, he's someone who preaches with authority. We haven't seen this kind of authority before. And so he goes to Simon Peter's mother-in-law's home for dinner. She's sick. He heals her. She gets up, makes them dinner. And then all the people from the town crowd around, and he heals all these people. He's working. He's healing all these people. And then it becomes nighttime, and he sleeps. And then very early in the morning, he gets out to pray. After a hard day of work, he's, he's praying. And, and it's important to, to think about what happens in this, in this setting. Because the disciples, in the morning when they wake up and find Jesus away praying, they're panicked because there's a whole bunch of people now outside the house who are begging to see Jesus so they can get Jesus to heal their loved ones. And Jesus is eventually found by the disciples who say, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus says, well, then let's go to the next town because I have to proclaim the gospel there. That's why I've come. So Jesus is able to turn aside, turn away from the urgent clamor of people who want him for their agenda and do the thing the Father has called him to do. How are we going to know what's best to do if we haven't spent time with the Father? How are we going to know what the instructions of Jesus are for us if we don't spend time with the Father in prayer, listening for instructions? So before we work and when we're tired from work. We need to be in prayer. In Luke 5.16, we read these words, but now more than ever, the word of Jesus spread abroad. Many crowds would gather to hear him and to be cured of their diseases, but he would withdraw to deserted places and pray. You get the impression from, from this passage and others like it that, that Jesus is in a habit of praying. These, these examples that I'm citing this morning are selected to give us diverse situations in which praying makes very important sense. But we shouldn't, just because we are able to pull out specific situations where Jesus prayed, think that Jesus isn't in a routine of continual praying. And there's many passages that say, and Jesus went out to pray as was his custom. You read that again and again in the Gospels, that Jesus was praying. Now remember, this is the Son of God praying. So if, if he needs to do it, we certainly need to do it. If he is our example in all things, he is certainly our example in this. Before making important decisions, we should pray. This is Luke 6, 12. Now during those days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose 12 of them, whom he also named as apostles. 
So before Jesus picks his disciples, he's praying. All night, it says. When's the last time many of us have spent all night in praying? Or have chosen to spend all night in praying? I've had some nights where I couldn't sleep, and so I chose to pray because I couldn't sleep. But there's a difference between choosing to pray at length when we're in anguish, when we have really consequential decisions to make. Speaking to the routine of Jesus praying, you remember the story after his resurrection where he's walking, where two men are walking on the road to Emmaus and he appears with them and he interprets all of the scripture to, to explain to them how the Old Testament scriptures reveal him to be the Messiah. And, and they invite him in to eat, to eat dinner and he sits down with them and, and in the breaking and in the blessing of the bread, he's revealed to them. Jesus performed those routine prayers of praying before he eats dinner. And you say, well, that's just sort of like a, a, a kid's thing, isn't it? No, it's not. This is part of the routine of our lives that reminds us to be grateful again and again and again for the provision of God in our lives. And so we express that gratitude again and again and again because that's consistent with his provision, which happens again and again and again. When, when Jesus is facing his most difficult tests, uh, he heads out to the Garden of Gethsemane and he gives his disciples some really specific prayer instructions. This is what he says in Luke twenty-two thirty-nine. He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not come into the time of trial. When we're facing periods of temptation or difficulty, we ought to pray. Jesus gives his disciples specific instructions during those times. Pray to avoid temptation. Pray to withstand temptation. That's an important thing to pray. And in the same setting, you'll hear Jesus' prayer, his prayer for courage, his prayer for submission of his will to the Father as he goes forward to do what he knows he must do. This is, this is John 12, the same setting, essentially. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. In the middle of the trial, in the middle of suffering, Jesus is having a vital link with his Father. I think, I think for courage and for uh, encouragement to do what he has determined he will do. I mean, the reality is in the Garden of Gethsemane, a giant war is being fought, and Jesus in his humanity, does not want to deal with the pain and humiliation and suffering of the cross. But he has come with a purpose. And more important than his aversion to the pain and suffering is the mission for which he has come. And he knows what it will mean for the people, for the humanity that he created, if he will allow death to take him. And so he prays, your will not my will be done, Father. And it is in the crucible of this, of this kind of praying that the Father answers, right? The Father is glorified by Jesus as Jesus follows through to the cross. And in the face of suffering, 
Jesus continues to have that dialogue with his father. He continues to talk with his father all the way till he's on the cross dying. And his dying words are prayer. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Right? He's, he's communicating with his father. In the face of suffering, we pray. We express this vital link. It may be, for some of us, that's the easiest time to pray because we don't have anybody else to turn to in those times. But it's appropriate for us to pray. Jesus taught us. In addition to the example of Jesus in the Gospels, we also have other instructions from the Word of God that teach us when and how to pray. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Paul tells us this. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In order to cope with anxiety, we pray. Stressed, feeling under pressure, we pray. When we're in difficult situations, we present our requests to the Father and we trust him. In Psalm 32, we get similar advice. Therefore, let all who are faithful offer prayer to you at a time of distress. The rush of mighty waters shall not reach them. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with glad cries of deliverance. We're invited to pray in the times of our distress. But not just in the times of our distress. We're also called to carry out the work of the kingdom through the vehicle of prayer. When, when Paul is writing uh, the letter, which for us is 2 Corinthians, at the very beginning of it, he has this discussion about uh, the difficulties he's faced in carrying out the work of the gospel. He talks about coming to the place of despairing for his own life, he's so depressed because he's having to deal with so much difficulty and persecution and, and trauma. And, and this is what he says in response to that experience. This is 2 Corinthians 1.10. He who rescued us from so deadly a peril, a peril will continue to rescue us. On him we have set our hope that he will rescue us again. As you also join in helping us by your prayers so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. There's something about the prayers of the body of Christ together that help us advance the work of the kingdom together. And so we're invited to pray, pray, pray for those who are in difficulty, for those who are under stress, for those who are under attack or under persecution. We should be praying for the persecuted church. We should be praying for all those who are advancing the ministry of the kingdom through the work of the Holy Spirit because God answers those prayers. In Matthew 9, 36, Jesus says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. We have a responsibility to pray for the work of the kingdom and specifically for laborers to be set into the harvest field for the sake of the kingdom of God. 
And I'm wondering, what do, what do laborers for the kingdom of God do? What, what is our work as ambassadors of the kingdom? Well, we stand with the broken and the downtrodden through prayer and action. We pray for the lost that the light of Christ might dawn. We pray for spiritual awakenings and renewals. We, we pray to carry the pain of the world to Christ. We, we rejoice with those who are joyful. We weep with those who are weeping. We pray for others, including ourselves, to be sent. For the work of the kingdom requires leaders at every level of kingdom work. And Jesus specifically invites us to pray that leaders be sent. And I would say that um, it's not only the work of the church that needs leaders, and we desperately do, it's the work of the kingdom. And when the kingdom of God expresses leadership in our communities, our communities need leadership, and our state needs, needs leadership, and our world needs leaders. And we should be praying for kingdom leaders across all levels of administration. And once we pray for leaders to be sent, then it's our job to pray for those leaders, especially preachers. We need to pray for our leaders that they would have the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to guide us in ways that are consistent with the goals and the principles and the specific plans of the Holy Spirit for the kingdom of God. We have a responsibility to do that. We pray for kingdom adventures and missions, and we pray for justice and compassion and mercy. We pray for the dismantling of systems of evil and racism and prejudice and corruption and greed. Prayer is not just personal transformation. It is intercession for the world and the people that Jesus loves. It feels like this is a pretty large job description, and it is a large job description, but Prayer is the work of the laborers of the kingdom of God. Jesus has assigned us this work to do. And the fair question to ask is, are we doing the work? How are we doing at doing the work? Have we sort of given up on our responsibility to prayer? Have, have we thought that we have a better idea about the ways to go about the work of the kingdom than the idea that Jesus had about it? I mean, he gave us the spirit and he gave us prayer. And that's his plan for us to bring the world to Christ. And sometimes in our humanness, we think, well, we don't need to pray all that much. It's better just to get out there and do the work we think we do. And what we end up in, what we end up as are people who choose to do God's work on their terms in their way rather than doing the work of God in obedience to his calling. And they're not the same thing, as you know. It's different to say, well, I think I'll choose to serve God in this way than it is to say, God, tell me what it is I need to do and I will do it. This way usually involves a little more work. And we look at prayer as work and we're thinking, eh, you know, if we're going to emerge from the rubble that is our culture and life right now, we will have to rebuild this foundation of prayer. It absolutely must be done. If we're going to do the work of the kingdom of God the way Jesus meant for it to be done, we must 
pray. You and I, we are the bearers of the kingdom of God at his invitation. And so we must pray. And, and this I believe, that if we will pray, if we will do the work of God in the way he intends it to be done, then Pentecost won't be an anomaly. I mean, you know what Acts 1 says to us. It says that the disciples reacted to Jesus' final words and ascension by heading back to Jerusalem, by going to a room where they were staying, and immersing themselves continually in prayer. And then in the unity of that prayer, Pentecost bursts in on them. And the Spirit revitalizes and awakens, and, and the gospel pours forth as folks rely on him. I've asked you to consider some projects for Lent. In preparation for Lent, I've asked you to pray morning and night. I encourage you to continue to do that. The second presentation in the School of Prayer was to invite you to spend some period of time in introspection asking the Holy Spirit to, to challenge you in terms of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. The third thing I've asked you to do is during the period of Lent, from Lent to Easter, to find two or three other folks outside your own home to pray with at least once a week. If you do that through Zoom, however you choose to do that, that's fine but find some extra folks to pray with because corporate prayer matters. And I'd like to give you a fourth assignment today. You say, Pastor, if you're going to give me homework every week, I'm going to stop coming. Don't do that. But I would like to encourage you, if you haven't already done so, to develop a prayer journal. Okay? Uh, in reading uh, one particular author this week, he was talking about how much he did not like the Book of Common Prayer because he found it too formal. I had trouble disagreeing with that because I believe the Book of Common Prayer has enriched my life immeasurably with the prayers that are located there. Uh, but what you can do with a prayer journal like this, the kind he recommends and the kind I'm recommending to you, is just to simply uh, keep a record of the things that you're praying for the things that you're hearing from the Lord. And then maybe when you find a prayer somewhere that really expresses what you want to pray, you know, we have these post-it note things and you can just stick them right in there. Or you could borrow a prayer from here and put it in here or find one in the many handouts that are in the lobby and continue to record your journey in prayer. It may be that you're wrestling with a very particular situation in your life. And you find that you, you frequently don't have victory in that area of life. And you want to create a prayer that specifically addresses that, that you can pray again and again. Write it out. Stick it in here so it can become a consistent part of your life so that when temptation arises, you have words immediately that already echo the commitments you're making to seek Christ's help to defeat this particular temptation. But use this journal to help you pray. Cut and paste. I have a little card. My card fell out of this one. No, it didn't. It's still here. My copy of one of my favorite prayers in this season of my life. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. 
let me be put to work for you or set aside for you, praised for you or criticized for you. Let me be full, let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, O wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, you are mine and I am yours, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. Amen. I don't know what prayers will end up in your prayer journal, but I encourage you to embrace the discipline of consistent praying. Pray in every situation. Make prayer the habit of your life. And let's move towards greater expressions of corporate prayer that we might be known as a house of prayer. Lord Jesus, make of us people of prayer. Help us as we add disciplines and practices to more accurately reflect who you want us to be. Forgive us for the excuses we make for not praying. Forgive us for our lack of discipline. And help us, merciful God, to please you in this area. We're counting on you. We're counting on the Spirit to help us. Our trust is in you. And we rely on you. Help us, we pray. Amen. Like Moses, may your faces reflect the glory of God because you have spent time in his presence. Amen.